Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded Podcast. Rooted and Grounded is a ministry of local Baptist church that creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. Check out more, if you want, at rootedandgrounded.co. All right, so the first, the first uh, of the main theological virtues, we have seven that we've done. Well, it may be eight now. Boy, we're we're. I'm, it was seven. It has to be seven. Seven. I think a good it needs number. to be seven. Yeah. But we may have changed them. I can't remember. But Hard anyways, the first. I'm sure one, it's on the website if you were to read it sometime. Well, this I'm really starting off so poorly. Mm. But we're keep going. We're but we're this is a professional outfit. We're on a time we'll keep crunch. Keep going. We'll push through. You got to keep going. The first one is that good theology is biblical. So let's talk about that for a minute, because that's what you told me you want to talk about. How to read the Bible. <laughs> so, what does it mean that good theology is biblical? Well, I think we probably have to start with the fact that, well, what is theology? Theology is the study of God and the things about God. And whether we like it or not, we are all theologians in some way. Like, we all have conceptions, we all have thoughts about who God is. Even. Um, non-Christians have beliefs, have ideas about who God is. And so what we're saying in that idea of our theological virtue, that good theology is biblical, is that in order to have a right conception, a right understanding of who God is, that must be based on the Bible. Yeah. So that what we believe about God needs to come from Scripture. We don't just get to make it up. So it can't come from what we feel that day. It can't come from just human reason alone. It can't. I mean, there's so many That's things right. that we would replace that with that we we just want to affirm. If you want to really know who God is and who we are as human beings, go to Scripture. That's right, because think about who God is, that he is so completely other than we are that we can't even understand him. It's like if we were trying to communicate to an ant. Mm. The ant has no idea who we are. And yet God, in his goodness and his graciousness and his kindness to us, he's spoken to us, he's revealed himself to us, he's spoken in a way that we can understand, and that's primarily through his word. So tell me what you really want to talk about today, because that was just my little intro. That's a warm-up. That's just warm a warm-up. Just getting the juices flowing. We're back. It's rainy. I feel like Noah, it's been raining for like 40 days straight, and we're starting to flood here. We are building an arc out back, right? That's what all those cranes are for? We, we need to, if we're not. Let's talk to Nick. <laughs> Let's get on that. Uh, what are we really going to talk about today? What I want to talk about is, is how to study the Bible. So I think we, at Lakewood, we're now in our third year of a church-wide reading and preaching plan where we're reading as a whole church. We're encouraging folks to read systematically through Scripture and then... On Sunday, that's what's being preached on and also discussed in small groups, Sunday school classes, those environments. And I think we're beginning to see a shift of people moving from sort of reading just to get their eyes over the page, to check the box, which we which was good. Read the Bible, take it in. That's right. To really this year, we're focusing a little bit more, we're digging down deeper where people are not just reading, but trying to study Scripture well. And part of that is, like on Fridays now, we have shorter chunks. We have a little bit where we can focus a little more time and energy on a particular passage. 
So I thought it'd be helpful for folks just to hear from you about how do we study the Bible well? How do we read the Bible well? How do we study it well so that we can grow in our love for God and for our neighbor? Yeah. Well, where do you even start with that? I know where to start. The first place to start is the whole Scripture, all all Scripture, all the Bible. So 66 books of the Old and New Testament. And just to say, let's affirm them all. This is all God's Word to us, and it's all useful, as Paul will say in 2 Timothy, useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that all of Scripture is important for us Mm. to know, believe, and to read. But where I get hung up sometimes on modern or more contemporary approaches to reading the Bible is that the Bible is a book, okay? So there's a way, I mean, it's like a book, like like many other books that you read. But at the same time, it's not just like any other book mm. because it, it's, it has a divine inspiration and in authorship. So Scripture is written down and penned by human authors, very much using their intellect, their experiences, their approaches, their themes, which is amazing, mm-hmm. even if nothing else, just to recognize one person can't give us all the revelation of God. We, we really need the collective experience, insight, wisdom, knowledge of, of many. But to also say, as much as each of these authors wrote it down, used their experience, that God is uh, behind the scenes orchestrating this whole thing, that all Scripture is inspired by His Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit has breathed this out through human authors, so that while it is a book, like other books, it's not just like that. It's unique. It's different. You can't, where where you may learn some moral value or principle from reading a book that you like, the Scripture doesn't work in the same way. It's not just human reason that you're learning from, and it's not just you reading a story and thinking how it how you interpret these things to inform your own mind and heart. This is uniquely God teaching us truth about who He is, who we are, the world around us, how we got to be where we are, how it all originated, and ultimately where all of human history is going to go, where where we're headed. So I think all that to say, the Bible is, is all of this is a book that goes together, 66 books of the Old and New mm-hmm. Testament, one that we want to affirm all of. And you can apply certain practices that you would to reading any other book, like genre, what type of literature mm-hmm. is it. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. get into that, maybe we won't. But it's also, we need to recognize that it's unique. It's not like any other book, because it is, uh, it has the ability to teach us divine through divine inspiration about who God is. That's right. Which nothing else can do. And so the author of Hebrews describes it as li- God's Word is living and active, and that Paul will tell the church that these things, in the, what we would call the Old Testament, were written for you as a believer. So we, we actually think this is God speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And not, not just us, not just you alone, but to the church yeah. throughout time and space. And that makes it different than any other book. Okay, so we've, we've set that. That's the foundation. Yep. And so 
yeah, there is value in just reading through Scripture. Just get it in your heart, get it in your mind, read it through. But as you sit down, John, when you sit down to, to let's just say you're reading through with us at Lakewood, and we're studying, reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to slow down on Friday and read these, however many, 20 verses or so that it will be for, let's say, this week's reading. What kinds of things are you thinking? What are you going to implement in that time? How are you going to sort of start to structure out what it means to study? Well, I think what you started us with, that this is God's Word to us, is a major starting point. And then in that, what you already talked about, that this, these are 66 books and yet one Bible. This is, there are 66 different parts and yet one book, one, speaking with one voice to God's people. And so I, for me, one of the key things is to keep that overall biblical context in mind, that everything that I'm reading, particularly when you start to narrow down on these small sections, that has to be read in light of the rest of Scripture. And so I want to make sure that how I'm reading and understanding those 20 verses fits in with where Scripture is going, this major storyline of Scripture of you know, that we were created in the image of God, we fell through sin, that God is redeeming a people for his own possession through the work of Christ, and that one day that will be consummated in the new heavens and the new earth. But keeping that big picture storyline in mind and making sure that how I'm reading that particular passage fits in line with particularly with the work of Christ mm-hmm. and who he is and how he is saving people by grace alone. So that's for me that's really the first thing is that as I you know open the scriptures look at it how is this fitting into the overall arc of scripture where does this fit in and, you know, over time, you just sort of do that naturally. Right. It's not as if we have a checklist, but you realize I'm even sort of naturally like, oh, I'm in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. So this is after Christ has come, or this is describing the life of Christ. So that's going to be slightly different than if I'm reading a psalm. You know, so we all sort of do, if you've been around church long enough, you've been reading the Bible long enough, you start to do that almost subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in different ways that you do it. I mean, you mentioned sort of this, there's this, just the chronological reading. Mm-hmm. Genesis happens chronologically before Matthew. Right. I mean, so you, you can just see the chronological progression, but then you can also see how in the New Testament you'll have themes that are really built on Old Testament work. So you're sort of jumping back and forth to say, okay, not only when was this written as we understand the progression of God saving his people through the, the life, work, and, and redemption through Jesus Christ, through his ultimately mm-hmm, his death, mm-hmm. burial, resurrection, and ascension. So you can see how it just unfolds in that way. But then also, how are these themes sort of playing back and forth between the two? I mean, you read, like when you, when you want to read in, in, in Genesis of God's promise to bless him, and to make him a nation and a people, well, you can go to First Peter and see how well God's people have now become that royal priesthood, that that holy uh, royal nation, a royal priesthood who is blessing the world through that line. So these themes are interconnected. You just see how it is is accomplished. And I think that that interconnection becomes so important because 
especially the authors of the New Testament, well, their their scriptures were the Old Testament, and they are just saturated with God's Word and well-versed in it. And so you see them picking up on these themes and building on what God has already said, and particularly in the New Testament, reinterpreting it in light of who Christ is. And so one of the best ways to read Scripture is to look for those themes and to say, okay, I'm, we're in Matthew 5, blessing. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? We have a whole canon of the Old Testament that is unpacking what it means to be God's people and to be blessed. And that really informs how we understand the Beatitudes. Um, and I, I just think you start to pick up on those themes and see how they play out. Right. Uh, and, yeah, you can't, you really can't understand, in my mind, you can't understand the vocabulary of the New Testament, particularly of Christ's work, without the Old Testament. Right. Redemption makes no sense. That Christ has redeemed us makes no sense apart from the Old Testament. And these concepts are just being unpacked in the life of Christ. Right. Okay, so let's say, let's let's jump forward a little bit, and let's say we're reading a New Testament letter, at which just, they tend to be so applicable, because, let's, any, one from Paul, First or Second Corinthians, or be something Be kind like to one another, tenderhearted. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're direct, he's addressing particular yeah. situations a lot of times, and so they can become so applicable. Is there... Uh, what what you and I have been describing though is more than just reading the Bible to say what do I need to change or do differently in my life that right. there's there's a larger theme that we need to recognize maybe even before we start to say well just li- do do things differently in your life so how do we order that because what we don't want we don't want to say that these things are irrelevant or we don't by no means are we saying don't apply these straight to your life that's right but we're saying before you jump straight to, well, I just need to be a nicer person or I need to treat people differently, how can we structure the argument and of yeah. Scripture? We, what you're describing is this question of how to read in context. right? So, I mean, we big picture we've been talking about, how do I read in the context of Scripture? But you think about Paul's letters, and when you're reading in the context of the letter, generally he's going to front load a lot of sort of theological content and then in the back half of the letter, unpack how that applies to your life. And so what that means for us is that before we jump to how does this apply, we need to understand the gospel, right? Understand the work of Christ. So I think what you're getting at there with your question is, how do we make sure that the gracious work of Christ to redeem his people becomes the foundation for how we read? And so that we don't so Philippians, I mean Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Mm. Well, even there, Paul is basing that command on the finished work of Christ. That God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, as those who have experienced God's forgiveness in Christ, live in this way. And so it always begins with the gospel. And I think we really have to have a grace driven reading of scripture so that we understand the all the ethical commands all the calls to do are flowing out of what God in Christ mm-hmm. has already done and that even now as a believer it is God working in you by the spirit 
to accomplish these things. So you and I aren't going to be kind and tenderhearted in and of ourselves. Some more than others, <laughs> or some less than others <laughs> yeah, in this case. Right. Uh, that's actually, that is the Spirit changing our hearts, which he has done because of the work of Christ. The sin of Christ has sent the Spirit to change our hearts, to make us more like Christ, to transform us into his image, to make us kind and tenderhearted toward one another. And I mean, sort of remarkably, right? That's written to the church. Huh. And there's some people, myself not least of them all, who are hard right. to be kind and tenderhearted to at church. Right. And so because we're not just in an affinity group, right? We're not just with people who are like ourselves, but we're with people from different backgrounds and cultures and all these things that make it challenging. Yeah. Uh other than just like my personality problems, right? Just these other sort of even amoral things that make it hard to get along with other people. And yet, because the spirit is at work in us, we can actually obey. And so there's always, there's always gospel in these commands, in these laws, that there is what Christ has done. And so now we live in light of that. I think what you said is so helpful because we're probably... We could be tempted, I think, to just want to apply Scripture directly to our lives. And we can be prone to think that we already kind of get what the Bible's about, and so we just can sort of jump right at it. But even when you look just historically with how the church has read and interacted, and particularly how individuals have read and interacted with Scripture, a lot of times just say most of the time, it's not the first hearing of the gospel that changes your heart. Mm. I mean, sometimes it's the 20th or the 50th or the 100th. I mean, sometimes you may spend, you may have spent years at a church that is week after week preaching the gospel, saying that our salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, trying its best to unpack what that means in our lives. You may have heard this year after year after year, and then one day suddenly the light bulb will go off, and you'll hear it in a way you've never heard it before. I think as Christians, we we need to put on our put ourselves in a position to hear that gospel over and over and over again, and particularly when we're studying Scripture, to let that be the first thing we think. Mm. What has God done for us in Jesus Christ? Or if you're reading the Old Testament, think, what is God and what does he intend to accomplish for his people, knowing how he accomplishes that in Christ and reading it with a sense of thanksgiving or of hope or of instruction or seeing how even remembering that is going to be necessary to living in a way that he's called us to live. So I think of the Ten Commandments, to me, is a great example because everyone sort of gets the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, don't let it escape you, is is actually a list of don'ts, which, I mean, I think you hear a lot of times Christians say, don't tell people not to do things because it's not as compelling as telling people just to do things, which I get, okay? I, I get it. You don't want to just be like negative Nancy all the time. Wait, is there a command to not tell people not to do? Right. Isn't, isn't that a negative? It's like a double negative. Okay. All right. But just trying to, just trying to follow at here. At the same time, like, let's just say the Bible does have lists of don'ts. And it's not because God is mean you or angry. You're so negative, Tyler. It's just, <laughs> Why aren't, do you not want people to come to church? It's just because he wants to protect us from yes. 
what sin does to right. us in our hearts and our lives. So anyways. Yeah, sometimes you have to tell your kid, don't touch the hot stove. You got to tell them yeah. to protect them. So when you read the Ten Commandments, you see so clearly this list of things to do or not do, however you want to interpret those, but a list of don't do things. But it's, it's front-loaded with a reminder of who God is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Who has redeemed you. That's the God that's yeah. calling you to live this particular life. So it's like when you read Paul's commands at the end of Ephesians or in the second half of Romans or I mean any other book, you say when you get to these application things, do this. You ought to live like this. Act like this. That's a real and sincere and, and true call for us as God's people to live a certain way of life, but only because of what he's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. So I think you just always say, the scripture always starts there. It always starts with how, what God is doing to save his people. And then in light of that, yeah, you live a certain type of way, a certain type of life. What about passages in scripture that are hard to understand? Peter says there are some. Peter actually says that Paul has a lot to say that's very hard to understand. What do we make... Peter also has lots of things that are hard to understand. That's true. That's true. What do we make of passages of Scripture that are hard to understand, and how do we read that in light of other things that, that are more direct, more clear? Do, do we yep. weigh these things? Do we balance them? How do we read all of this together? Well, I think we start where you just said we start, right, with... How does this relate to the finished work of Christ and the free gift of salvation in him? Okay, if that is the central theme of Scripture, is God redeeming a people through Christ. Okay, if that's the central theme, if that's the main thing God is showing us in his word, how do these less clear passages relate to that? And that's really the question, right? It's how does it relate to that? And so we use this principle of let the clearer passages help us understand the less clear passages. Because there are things, maybe you can, we'll say this for later, Paul. Okay. What is baptism for the dead? Right? Right, yeah. We don't know. I mean, I think that we could spend yeah. an hour talking about it and say, right. and in conclusion, we don't <laughs> know. But we do have an idea of what baptism is. We have an mm -hmm. idea that Christ baptizes us with his spirit when we believe. And so when we talk about baptism, that's what we teach on. And we let the clearer passages drive our reading and our understanding. Yeah. Um, in the word, you know, it'd be helpful if one of us had a Scottish accent. But in the words yes. of Alistair Begg, ah. uh, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. If you could say that with a Scottish accent, I would be much more convinced. Yes. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> uh, I also would uh, You'd be probably be preaching a little bit more about <laughs> a Scottish accent. All right, well, that, that's an important one to end on. We won't end the discussion, so this is the first of several that we'll have on how to read Scripture. We'll, we'll do a few of these, but it is a, that's a good point to end on with this first discussion, that don't let the more obscure or the less clear passages totally disrupt your reading of Scripture. Don't get so thrown off and sideways about one verse that you're not totally sure exactly what to do with, that it just it takes away from all of the clear implications mm -hmm. of scripture to put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the that's the theme. That's the central core message of the Bible. All right. We'll continue this discussion. This is a good start though, especially on a rainy Monday. What a good 
start to a new series. All right. Thanks for your time, John. Thanks, Tyler.